Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine. Hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. I am the ferryman. In the shadows of the afterlife, the Ferryman of Souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All I ask for in payment is a tale. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. Binge this season of The Passage now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Hey there, history fans. We're taking a break to stay ahead of the holidays, but we've got plenty of classic shows to keep you busy. Please enjoy these flashback episodes from the TDI HC Vault, and be sure to tune in on December 1st for a brand new episode. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Eves, and you're listening to This Day in History Class, a show where we peel back a new layer of history every day. The day was November 29, 1847. Members of the Cayuse Native American tribe murdered missionaries Marcus Whitman and Narcissa Whitman, along with 11 other people. The Whitman Massacre, as it became known, marked the beginning of the Cayuse War, a conflict between the Cayuse people and the U.S. government and American Frontiers people. In 1836, Marcus and Narcissa Whitman founded the Whitman Mission among the Cayuse near present-day Walla Walla, Washington. It was the second Protestant mission in the Oregon country, a region between the Pacific Ocean and the Rocky Mountains in the Pacific Northwest. The Whitmans built up the mission over the years, but tensions escalated between the missionaries and the Cayuse. The Cayuse refused to bend to Marcus's will and become full-time farmers, weren't interested in learning from the Whitmans, and did not care about Christianity. The Cayuse also maintained that since the Whitmans built the mission on their land, they were obligated to give them goods. But in the tribe members' eyes, Marcus wasn't fulfilling his obligations. Aware of the Whitman Mission's struggles with the Cayuse and with money, the American Board of Commissioners for Foreign Missions even ordered the mission to close in 1842, though the board later rescinded its order. The mission soon became a place where immigrants on the Oregon Trail stopped to rest, gather supplies, and receive care and treatment. As more people moved west, there was an influx of white immigrants in the area. 
The Cayuse were aware of the harmful effect the arrival of white populations was having on Native American tribes in other places. They brought with them disease, and in 1847, an epidemic of measles killed half the Cayuse people. The Cayuse were hungry, sick, and unhappy with how stingy Marcus was in his trading. And Marcus was unable to keep the epidemic under control for the Cayuse, even though he had been caring for white and Native American people who had been affected. They believed that Marcus, as a doctor and religious leader, was essentially killing their families to make room for more white immigrants. This was not unprecedented, as Native Americans in the Northwest had been threatened with germ warfare, and their beliefs about the power white people had over medicine was exploited. On November 29, 1847, a group of Cayuse tribesmen attacked the Whitman Mission, which was sheltering dozens of people, mostly immigrants. They killed 13 people, including Narcissa and Marcus. They destroyed most of the buildings at the mission and held around 50 women and children captive for weeks. Two children died and the other captives were ransomed. Historians agree that the Cayuse were defending their tribe since the Cayuse believed that Marcus was allowing measles to spread among them. News of the massacre reached Washington, D.C. in 1848, and Congress responded by establishing the Oregon Territory that August. The Provisional Legislature of Oregon and Governor George Abernathy authorized volunteers to go to war against the Cayuse, and a unit of volunteers was dispatched to the Dalles. Fighting soon broke out, and the Cayuse War continued sporadically for several years. The war did not turn out well for the Cayuse. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. Feel free to share your thoughts or your innermost feelings with us and with other listeners on social media, and you can email us at thisday at iheartmedia.com. Thanks for listening to today's episode. We'll see you again tomorrow. Hello, and welcome to This Day in History class, a show that reveals a little bit more about history every day. I'm Gabe Luzier, and in this episode, we're talking about a breakthrough form of espionage from the Revolutionary War, a new kind of invisible ink that only one side knew how to use. The day was November 29th, 1775. Physician and amateur chemist James Jay invented a new kind of invisible ink, which was later put to use in the American War of Independence. From the 1750s until the start of the war, Jay had studied and practiced medicine in Great Britain. When the war broke out in the colonies, he used his new invisible ink to correspond with John Jay, an American patriot and his more famous younger brother. Eventually, with James' blessing, John Jay offered his brother's ink to General George Washington, who immediately put it to use in the famous Culper spy ring. During the Revolutionary War, both combatants used invisible ink. British soldiers would dip their quills in something acidic like lime juice, lemon juice, or vinegar, and then write secret messages between the lines of seemingly mundane letters. 
The hidden writing would only appear if the recipient did one of two things, either hold the letter over the flame of a candle, or treat the paper with a chemical substance such as sodium carbonate. These methods worked because the acidic ink would weaken the fibers of the paper, so that when heat or acid was applied, the weakened fibers would turn brown faster than the fibers that hadn't touched the ink. The main problem with these types of invisible ink was that both sides knew how to use them. If a letter was intercepted and the enemies suspected it might contain a hidden message, they knew exactly how to check. In fact, one British intelligence officer made it even easier to tell. He instructed his agents to mark the corner of their correspondence with either an A or an F. This told the recipient, or the interceptor, exactly how to make the secret message appear, with acid or with fire. James J. recognized that most invisible ink formulas had become too common to be effective. To combat the problem, he developed his own unique recipe for ink, one that could only be activated by a specific corresponding reagent. It didn't matter how much heat or sodium carbonate you tried, without knowing Jay's exact formula, his invisible ink would stay invisible. When George Washington heard of this new form of invisible ink, he couldn't contain his excitement. He wrote a letter to a lawyer and statesman named Elias Boudino, singing the praises of what he referred to as sympathetic stain. Washington giddily wrote, quote, It is in my power, I believe, to procure a liquid which nothing but a counter liquor, rubbed over the paper afterwards, can make legible. Fire, which will bring out lime juice, milk, and other things of this kind to light, has no effect on it. A letter upon trivial matters of business written in common ink may be fitted with important intelligence which cannot be discovered without the counterpart. Shortly after, James J. began exporting small quantities of his invisible ink to Washington and to the Continental Army's spymaster, Major Benjamin Talmadge. He and the general would then pass the ink along to their secret agents in British-occupied New York City. They encouraged the agents to write their hidden messages in the blank pages of books and pamphlets in order to make them less suspicious. There was never as much of Jay's ink as they would have liked, but the amount they had, alongside their aliases and various forms of code writing, was enough to get them all the way through the war without being caught. So what exactly was in James J.'s mysterious white ink, or the medicine, as Washington would later refer to it in letters? J. never revealed the chemical composition of his formula. After all, writing it down would have increased the risk of an outsider figuring out how to use it. However, in the 1930s, Dr. Lodwick Bendixson performed ultraviolet and infrared tests on letters written using Jay's invisible ink. The analysis revealed it to be a solution made from the tannic acid of gall nuts. What's a gall nut? It's not a nut, but essentially a wooden cocoon. When a wasp lays its eggs on the branches of an oak tree, the tree defends itself by entombing the eggs within a big woody growth known as a gallnut. 
As for the substance used to reveal Jay's invisible ink, the test showed it to be ferrous sulfate, a soil additive used to lower the pH of soil. Kudos to James Jay for coming up with that pairing. No way were the British going to crack that one. Jay's invisible ink helped deliver valuable strategic information to Washington and his allies, but the inventor was never paid for his contribution to the war effort. In 1808, long after the war had been won, Jay appealed for payment to President Thomas Jefferson and to Congress. He requested $20,000 in recognition of his services, claiming that his ink formula had proven invaluable and would surely be of even more use in the future. Congress was split on the matter. Some felt Jay was owed the money, while others said it was, quote, absurd to vote away money for a thing they did not and could not understand. In the end, Congress sided with Jay, declaring, quote, that it shall be lawful for the President of the United States to obtain, by purchase, at a reasonable price, the exclusive right, on behalf of the public, of the system invented by Sir James Jay, as submitted by him to the Executive Department of Government, provided, in the opinion of the President, it will be of public utility and importance to possess the same. In other words, if President Jefferson wanted to pay James Jay for the rights to his invisible ink, Congress would have no objection. But apparently that's not something Jefferson wanted to do. The subject was broached again in 1813, but the Senate voted down the measure. James Jay died two years later, never compensated for his efforts. His contributions to the nation were lasting, but appreciation for them disappeared fast. I'm Gabe Luzier, and hopefully you now know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. If you liked what you heard, consider following us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at TDIHC Show. And if you have any comments or suggestions, you can send them my way at thisday at iheartmedia.com. Thanks to Chandler Mays for producing the show, and thank you for listening. I'll see you back here again tomorrow for another day in history class. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. I am the ferryman. In the shadows of the afterlife, the Ferryman of Souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All I ask for in payment is a tale. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. Binge the season of The Passage now. 
Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers.